0: Active FM presents Food, food for Thought for stock, for stock. with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Vicki Anston. Radio. Radio.
1: Radio. So we continue with our series "Destroy the Limitations," and obviously, motherhood is one of those things that destroys limitations. And I want you just to think about that right now for a second. The thing that we see about motherhood is that often we don't do enough of it and that is to say thank you. And sometimes people realize that when it's too late and the mother's not there anymore. And so I want to encourage you first and foremost that if your mother is still alive, thank her now while she is alive so that um, you're not sorry that you didn't thank her enough when she's not there. Now, the sermon today is entitled, Thank You, Get You There. And I want you to think about that right now. Thank you will get you there. And how often do you say thank you in life? Never mind just to your mothers, but even to God for what he's given you. And it reminds me of a story where Jesus is busy preaching. And they're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's getting late. There's no shops anywhere around there. They're somewhere out there where there are no shops, there are no crops, there's no nothing. And as the sun begins to set, the disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, you better send these people home because there isn't any food Jay, and these guys are hungry. They haven't eaten the whole day. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, you feed them. Now, I want you to think about what you would have done if you were one of those disciples. Where Jesus says, no, you feed them. And as you're sitting here in church today in 2021, Jesus is still looking into your eyes and saying, no, you feed them. And this is what I want you to realize. God wants to do nothing at all without you. And when I'm talking about God wants to do nothing without you, I'm not talking about little things that you can do without the supernatural power of God. I'm not talking about little itsy bitty little things that you can do with your abilities, with your talent, with your time, and with your energy. I- I'm not talking about the things that are possible for you to do. What I'm talking about are the things that require faith. If Jesus says to you, you feed them. That requires faith. That requires that first of all, he can do the stuff. That through you, he can feed them. That requires faith that he exists. That there actually is a Jesus that rose up from the grave. That is alive today. It requires faith that he actually wants to use you. It requires faith that He wants to use you to do things that would be impossible without your faith in Him. And He says to you, you do it. What are you believing God for? And we've said that a number of times in the series, but what I want you to realize is this. For you to believe God requires that you repent. It requires that you repent because your thinking needs to change. Your whole worldview needs to change. everything about you needs to change. The way you see everything needs to change and I want to encourage you to go if you haven 't done so and get onto Rumble and go and watch the situation from this past week. Never mind the new stuff, but you know we were talking there about the fact that Abraham, the king of Sodom, wanted to give him money. This was before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And Abraham refused to take any money from him because he said, I will not allow that you get any credit for what God has done. When I get rich one day, I don't want you to be going around saying to people, Abraham got rich because of me. He said, I want to make sure that the God most high, Al Alian, will get all the glory. Abraham saw life through eyes that said, God is the most high authority. That there is no higher authority than him. Your thinking needs to change. Your thinking needs to change from a mindset of the kingdom of this earth to a mindset of the kingdom of heaven. And the mindset of the kingdom of heaven said, Jesus wants to do nothing without you on the earth. But he commands you to go out in faith and to do things that are supernatural. Things that are requiring miracles for the Holy Spirit to work. Now the first step in living a life like that is a step where you need to take a step of gratitude. A spirit of gratitude needs to consume all of our complaining. It needs to overcome every complaint that we have. And sometimes... We hide our complaints with prayers and we pray the prayers. We pray these complaints and then we say in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we pray negative prayers in the name of Jesus. But the prayer of faith is never negative. It's never negative. And it's time to get out of the mode of complaining. It's time to get out of the attitude that always sees what is wrong that always sees what is wrong with people that always sees what is wrong with the bank account that always sees what is wrong the Israelites had been caught in captivity for 400 years they were living in the the land of Egypt for 400 years Abraham had been promised the promised land and it was not Egypt Egypt the thing about this is, is that God's plan for the, the Israelites was never for them to live in, in captivity in a, in, a, in a land far away. God's plan is never captivity for any nation. If anyone tells you when you're living in captivity that this is the plan of God, it is not His plan. If anyone tells you that it's God's plan that we live in captivity right now, that we live in lockdowns with pandemics and waves coming along, and the waves are not those nice waves that we go and see when we go to the seaside, but it's these waves of of, of infections where people die. And we see people with oxygen and all sorts of things in India and all of that. That isn't God's plan. And if you're accepting that as a plan of God, then, then you need to go and read the Bible because that isn't the plan of God. God used Moses with the Israelites as a type of Jesus. And he raised Moses up to deliver the people. Now I want you to think about what happens. God conquers the most powerful nation on the face of the planet at that time. And he conquered this nation for a bunch of slaves. I want you to think about that for a second. He conquered the most powerful nation on earth at the time of Moses. For a bunch of slaves. You don't have to be somebody for God to move. You just have to be a child of God. God doesn't care about your status. He doesn't care about your title. He doesn't care about who you are or who you think you are. If you believe by faith and you're a child of God, God wants to move in and through your life. And today many people are living in fear. They're living in fear because of the virus. They're living in fear for their children. But I want to tell you that you don't have to live in fear, even in terms of what's going to happen in this nation, because this nation has a promise on it. I want to tell you, active church, that this nation has a promise on it. In the name of Jesus, this nation has the promise of God on it. Just like the promise of God was on the nation of the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. And so... They went out of Egypt when God had supernaturally saved them. They went there into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And God tells them he's sending them to the promised land because it is their inheritance. The trip was supposed to take 11 days. They were supposed to take 11 days from slavery to the promised land. But 40 years later they had not arrived at the promised land yet. What 11 day trip are you spending a 40 year journey on? Because you haven't believed the promises of God. You haven't stepped out in faith and you haven't started moving and ministering the way God wants you to move and minister. Because every place that you're alive, everywhere that you go, you're on an assignment from almighty God. You're supposed to be the life of the party. You're supposed to be the life of the school or the company wherever you work. You're supposed to be the life of your home, the life of your community. Your home is supposed to be a place where people are coming and they are finding the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, right there in your house. Yes, right there in your office. Yes, right there on the factory floor or the warehouse floor where you might be working. You are the one that is supposed to be bringing the presence of God into people. And I'm asking you, is the presence of God and the Holy Spirit alive and well on the inside of you right now? Are you experiencing the joy of the Lord no matter what may be going on around you? No matter what circumstances you may be facing? that are bringing challenges. Because when the presence of God is there, miracles happen. Awesome things take place. Some of us have been living out in the wilderness for years and the Holy Spirit is crying out, can you just get there? Can you just get there? It's only supposed to be an 11 day trip. God fed them in the wilderness. They didn't have to worry about food. He fed them. Their clothes didn't wear out. And here's the thing, the wilderness. Is a is a place where God will sustain you, but it's just a place of survival. The promised land is a place of abundance, it's a place of overflow, it's a place where, where where we go and wherever we tread we take possession of it. None of those who left Egypt got into the promised land except two two people who had faith. They died outside the promised land. May this never be our story. May this never be our story. And the reason they never got the promised land was they reasoned. You know when you say, I was just thinking. Yeah, they were just thinking. Why aren't you in the promised land? Guys, God says to the Israelites, no God, we were just thinking. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 21 and 22. Where it says, look, he has placed... The land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. But you all came to me and said, First, let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. This seemed like a good idea to me, so I chose, so I chose 12 scouts. One from each of your tribes. The problem is that we say all of us because we want to give weight to our opinion. You know, whenever we're doing things that maybe God hasn't quite said we should do that thing or maybe we're not doing something God has said we should do, then we say all of us because all of us gives us weight to our opinion. And I want to tell you today as you're sitting here listening to this that there is a danger in listening to all of us when God has already decreed something. God has already decreed that you're a world changer. God has already decreed that demons are being smashed. They're being smashed. You just walk in the room and demons are yelping like a dog that has been kicked in the stomach at 100 k's an hour. It may sound like a good idea to us. You know, when all of us are talking, it may sound like a great idea. But a good idea could set us back 40 years. Friends can change our minds. Friends can change our minds because it sounds good, even though it contradicts the Word of God. How many things are you believing, even though they contradict the Word of God? When the spies came back, only two had a good report. And only the two of them entered the Promised Land. Every one of the rest of the the nation of Israel, because the Israelites went with the ten. The Israelites went with their friend. Every one of them died in the wilderness because they focused on the giants. Except instead of focusing on the biggest giant of all, which is the Lord our God. They never got there, even though they could see it. And many years later, many, many years later, long after the Israelites had gone into the promised land, long after Joshua and Caleb had gone in and taken possession of the promised land, At the time when Jesus was there, there was a man sitting by a pool. He had been sitting by the pool for 38 years. And what happened was that this pool was an awesome place because every now and then this angel would come and stir the water. And when the people saw the water stirring, they knew that the first one that got into the pool would be healed. But this man, he was lame. He couldn't walk. And so no matter what he did, He sat there waiting for 38 years. And every time the water stirred, someone would get in before him. And many of us feel like that about life. You know, if Jesus hadn't come along, he'd never have been healed. But Jesus did come along. He did come along. And when he said, what can I do for you? The man said, please help me get into the pool. And Jesus said, shut up. Basically, that's what he said. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Don't tell me your excuses. Don't tell me your stuff. Do you want to be healed? You don't need this pool. All you need is me. I want to tell you that this same Jesus is here today. He's here right now. And he will raise us up without the pool, just as he raised this lame man up without a pool. And Jesus will raise you out of your wilderness into your promise. With all that is going on, with all the challenges that we face. With the third wave, now we're hearing third wave, third wave. We can make a song, third wave, third wave, third wave. With all of that, Jesus will raise you out of your pool into your promise. Just get there. Just get there. What happened with the masses? They listened to the negative report. In Deuteronomy 1 verse 26 to 28, it says, But you have rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in. You complained in your tents and said, Listen to that. You complained in your tents. You complained in your houses. You complained in your tents and said, The Lord must hate us. That's why he's brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with, this, with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are and their towns are large are large, and the walls are rising into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Our brothers demoralized us with the report brothers have demoralized us. Oh, I will do this stuff for the Lord. But the news has demoralized me. ENCA has demoralized me. YouTube has demoralized me. Whatever tube has demoralized me. My friends have demoralized me. President Surah pause has demoralized me. And between him and Aisma Maghashule, they're all busy suspending each other. they demoralizing me. With a government that's suspending each other, how can I ever have any hope? If their report demoralizes you, don't call them your brother. Don't call them your sister. Don't call them your friend. Don't call them your mother. Don't call them your father. Don't call them a confidant. Don't even listen to them. If they are pulling you out of the will of God, they are bringing trouble into your will. When the Israelites rebelled and refused to go into the promised land, they were listening to an evil report. The Bible says it was an evil report. I want to ask you how foolish is that? How foolish is that to listen to an evil report and then to refuse to go into your promise? It's refusing to go into your promise. It's refusing to go into the promise that God has given you. This is not clever. They went to their tents and they complained. And you know, when we complain, most of us don't have the guts to go and face those we're complaining about. We complain to everyone but that person. We go outside the church to complain about the pastor. We go outside of our cell group to complain about our cell leader. We go outside of the family to complain about our family members. We we go and we complain to people on Facebook or some other social media mechanism, to people that don't even live in South Africa about our president. We complain to everyone who can make no difference about it, about our boss. And the spirit of complaint will strip us. From that which was actually made for us, for our inheritance. God has given you this massive inheritance. Imagine you've got this massive piece of land. And now what does he say? I want you to have faith. And what does it mean if you have faith? You go into the promised land that God has given you and you begin to explore. What is it that God's going to do? What is it that, that he is going to change? What miracles am I going to see if I will just step out in faith and do what he said I should do? What is it that we want? Some of us want Egypt. Egypt is a place of slavery. And the question that I want to ask you today is, what are you a slave to? The opposite of Egypt is freedom. Let me tell you about freedom. Freedom is not democracy. We've got democracy and many people don't feel free. We've got democracy and we still get locked down. Freedom is not doing whatever you feel like doing. Freedom is not taking all your moral values and smashing them into a pulp and and, and smashing them into a powder on the floor. Freedom is not being led by your emotions to do whatever you feel like doing. Oh, I feel like I have flower power. I'm a hippie from 1969 when they all went to Woodstock. And they said... 30,000 went to Woodstock and 60,000 came out from all the babies that were born. That's not freedom. True freedom is when you have control. True freedom is about having freedom from your sins and your addictions that control you. True freedom is about willingly submitting to God when you know that you have the choice not to. True freedom is freedom from the pain of the curse of of, of this world. It's freedom from the pain of the curse of this world in your work. It's freedom from the curse of the pain of this world in your marriage and in your family. Freedom is so awesome that you can be in jail and you can be totally free in the Lord Jesus Christ. True freedom is if you're sitting in a prison cell right now or you're lying in a hospital bed right now, but you are totally free in Christ Jesus. There is a promise for a hope and a future in Christ Jesus. And we want to get there, the place of freedom. But the promise means we do more than just survive. I want to say that to you. The promise means that we do more than just survive. If we're just sitting, you know, playing survivor, there's a problem. I want you to think about the Israelites. They were given manna in the wilderness. I'm not sure if you've ever looked up what the word manna means. Manna means, what is it? <laughs> the stuff floated out the scars, and they said, what is it? Moses said, I don't know, just eat. And so for 40 years they ate, what is it? Now, what is it was just supposed to cover them for 11 days. They ate manna. And manna, when you're eating what is it for 40 years, that is boring because they just weren't supposed to be there. And all they got was enough to survive every single day. You can go and read the story. If they collected more than what they needed for that day, it went rotten. They got stuck in survival mode because of rebellion. And rebellion came from an ungrateful attitude. When we go against everything that God has said before us in the promised land, and it's a spiritual promised land where you're seeing miracles, where you're praying for people when they've got things like, you know, end of of your life cancer, and you see them being healed. What would it be like if you prayed for someone with a tumor and the tumor's gone? They were meant to be in the promised land where... Food was abundant. They were meant to be in the place of overflow, the land of milk and honey. Instead, they were eating and they were stuck. They were stuck eating. What is it? Dad, can I have some more food? Yeah, I have some. What is it? You're sitting there at supper. Oh, what's for supper tonight? Yeah, what is it? How many of us are living in a, in, in a place where we're, in, we're in a place where all we're eating is what, what is it? I want to give us a challenge today. It's a challenge that we're going to leave, leave this place of slavery, that we're going to, to, to leave this place of just being a survivor, that we're not going to just be a survivor in our lives, in our relationship with God, in our family, in our marriage, in our finances, in the workplace, in the ministry. That we will be a people that will become fathers and mothers of nations. That we will conquer for the kingdom of God. That we're going to see God move in such a place that He's going to completely transform our nation. That we're going to look at our nation in 10 years' time and we're not going to believe what, we're going to, what we see. Because it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing because the hand of God and the promise of God is all over our nation. It doesn't matter how bad it looks today. If enough people will stand up with a promise of God, with a faith. Then God will change the nation. People will be healed. We'll see the family being restored. We'll see kids walking in the shops, on average, with a mother and a father. Okay, we'll see things that we don't see right now. It will happen in an attitude of thankfulness. And by this attitude of thankfulness, we will fill this house. We will fill the house of God all over this nation. The house of God will overflow our parliament and our court systems and our constitution and everything in this nation will change to the glory of God. But it has to happen in an attitude of thankfulness. And to be thankful, we need to remember Hebrews 3 verse 12. It says, so watch your step, friends. Make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around that will trip you up and throw you off course diverting you from the living God I want to read that to you again I want you to think very carefully about what that says so watch your step friends I don't know if you still say that hey hey watch your step huh? we used to have a saying are you speaking to me or are you chewing bricks because either way you're going to lose your teeth <laughs> so that's what God's saying to you Are you speaking to me or are you chewing pricks? Because either way you're going to lose your teeth. Watch your step, friends. What does that mean? Make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around. You notice all all that you have to do for evil unbelief to be lying around is to be careless about your spiritual life. To, 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 not, to not look at what's going on in your heart to not look at what's going on in your mind to not look at what's going on in your life all you have to do is just be careless and have some evil unbelief just lying around ah, it won't do too much damage really what does the Bible say make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around that will trip you up and throw you off course diverting you from the living God you know, when you, lose your thank you, when you lose your thank you, it makes you hard. Makes your heart hard. Makes you one of those hard people. You know, those people that are hard to get along with. It makes you totally unresponsive to the Word of God. It means you can sit here in the service, you can hear the Word of God, but you're dead to the Word of God. It means nothing to you. It doesn't move you, it doesn't shift you. prayer on this special Mother's Day is that we will get our spirit of thankfulness back That, that we will repent from not being content as the Apostle Paul said and I want you to think about I want you to think about this for a second the Apostle Paul is lying in prison he's probably been whipped so he's probably got infection on the whip marks on his back the kind of prisons they had in those days were not like our prisons today there were probably rats running around while he was sleeping there would be times that he'd be underground in a hole in the rock because that's what their prisons were not seeing the sun for days or weeks or maybe even months or years when he wrote the book of Philippians (laughs) even many of the people he preached to had abandoned him plus he's sitting alone in prison and there's only a few that are still with him. There's only a few of the followers of Christ that are still faithful to him. And then he he writes this incredible passage which was recorded in Philippians chapter 4. During this the time when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. And he starts talking about all the things he's gone through. He starts talking about how hard his life's been. I'm telling you now, if you if you read what he's been through in that in that chapter, I mean, when, <laughs> I think we'd be embarrassed to say we've had a hard life. And then he says, "I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation." I want you to think about that. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether I'm well fed or hungry whether I have a lot of money or no money whether I'm popular or totally rejected for the gospel whether I'm loved or hated whether I have a lot of people around me or I'm experiencing the pain of loneliness whether I'm free as a bird or locked up in chains here in prison I've learned the secret of being content no matter what. And then there's that famous verse from Philippians 4.13, which many people say that they quote that when they look at a Porsche. And they say, I can get this Porsche. And if you're saying it in that context, you're a liar. That's not the word. It's not what it says. In fact, I heard about a man who who quoted Philippians 4.13 when he was justifying leaving his wife for his young secretary. And Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. doesn't talk about leaving my wife for someone else. Or some other rubbish. Or getting a Porsche or something. Philippians 4.13 talks about, I can be content in any and every situation. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, for that to be real for you, I want to ask you this question. How real must Jesus have been to Paul? That he would have allowed himself to end up in that situation. You know, Paul could have avoided that situation. All he had to do was stop preaching. That's all he had to do. (laughs) If he stopped preaching the gospel, he could have stopped that whole thing. Either Paul was incredibly stupid or Jesus was more real to him than the people that were physically around him. Go read Paul's letters. He wasn't stupid. You guys study some of the philosophical concepts that Paul wrote in his letters. I'm telling you now, I don't believe we have anyone in our church that had the intellect of that guy and I'm not saying that you don't have intellect. What I'm saying is, is that man I don't, I, don't see, I don't see people around today that can come up with what that man came up with. He was an absolute genius. No one ever won an argument with him. Now for a guy that's that clever, for a guy that's that astute, for a guy that has a way with words that he had, for, for, for that guy to be prepared to go to his death, For that guy to be prepared to be put on a ship and taken to Rome. And he knew that he was going to be brought before Caesar. And Jesus was so real to him. And the plan of God for his life was so real to him that he was willing to go. To the point where he said that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that I'm pressing on towards the goal that Jesus said before me. That's what he said. if you want to break the limitations, then Jesus has to become that real to you today. And I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to close your eyes. And I really want you to think about where you are. You know, sometimes we we realize that we're far from God because we're not thankful and then I want to challenge you because maybe there's something inside of you fighting and you're saying yes but Gavin you don't know my situation and yeah maybe you're right or maybe you're wrong you might be wrong but my question to you today is you think God doesn't know listen God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for you what my prayers is that right now you just open up your heart and allow him to give you a taste of what that love is like how that love feels you have to repent of ingratitude you have to repent of resentment you have to repent of unforgiveness you have to repent of the world's way of thinking you have to repent of your demand for justice You have to repent of not praying for people. And as you're sitting there, I want to just tell you a story. It was a girl that many years ago was at school with me. She doesn't live in South Africa anymore. She lives with her husband in another country. But she's been in pain for a number of years because a number of years ago, two things happened. The first was her mother died. and the second was her son died when he was sleeping in a tent on holiday and a tree fell and it hit him and two days later he died in hospital and she's broken how many people around us are broken like that and the thing is we cannot nor will we do anything to help them or about that if we're not restored. But to be restored, we have to repent. To be restored, we have to say, I'm not going to hold on to the pain. It's bad. And I can't get over it without faith, but Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Yes, Jesus is here. Just like he was with that guy who was at the pool that had been sitting by the pool for 38 years trying to get healed. And Jesus went to him. He's here. And to repent, what do you need to know? Romans 10 verse 8 and 9. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What I want you to realize To be saved means you're saved from an everlasting existence without God. To be saved means you're saved from everlasting judgment. Never ending everlasting judgment. What I want you to realize as you're sitting here today is that your eternal destiny is at stake. And some of you are struggling. You're saying no... Uh, don't tell me about this grateful thing. You don't know my life. And, and God's saying, I know your life. Gavin may not know your life, but I know your life. And I know what I gave up for you. I know what I gave up for you. And your eternal death is at stake right now. You need to turn. You need to change your mind. You need to stop thinking the things about the people that you think about. You need to stop questioning the circumstances that you question. And you need to think about eternal life. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. We'll give your life to him now. Maybe you've heard this message before and you need to come back to Jesus. We'll, we'll recommit your life right now. Don't wait another day. You don't know if you have tomorrow. You might die today. Most people that died didn't plan to die. For many people, the day they died was a surprise. If you're at home, I'm going to ask you right now to send an email. Email. Send an email to info at theactivechurch.org and tell us, I've given my life to Jesus or I've recommitted my life to Jesus. I want to say that again. Info at theactivechurch.org and just say that. I've given my life to Jesus for the first time or I've recommitted my life to Jesus. And let us know your contact detail. We'll be in contact with you. I want you to visualize Jesus. His blood being shed on the cross. Every sin of ingratitude. Everything that you've done without faith. Every thought that was wrong. Every word that was wrong, every action that was wrong. The power of those arguments that are against you are being destroyed by the blood of Jesus right now. And that Jesus that, that blood that Jesus shed over 2,000 years ago, that blood is still so powerful today that it is still taking sin away today. I want you to see yourself being washed by him. All evil is being drained away. And now I want you to take your right hand and place it on your heart. Everyone place your right hand on your heart. And see the power of the blood that was shed. The price that he paid to take away your sin. I want you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I recognize that I'm a sinner. I repent of everything I've done wrong. I renounce my life of sin. And I accept your sacrifice. I know that it was the price you paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, I ask that the blood of your wounded body wash me of all my rebellion, all my sin. Set me free from any sickness and from any pain. And I accept that my debt has been paid. That there's no outstanding balance. All my sin is washed away because you paid everything for me on the cross of Calvary. And I accept that by your blood I'm justified. And that you see me from now on as I've never sinned. And that by your blood I'm sanctified. Which means you've chosen me to serve you. And I'm willing to serve you. And so today I open the door of my heart. And I invite you in to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life.